Philippians is a letter written by Paul the Evangelist to a church that he had founded. According to the book of Acts, he did this on his second missionary journey around the year 50. Philippi was an important city in Macedonia, and it was either built or rebuilt around the middle of the 4th century BC. It was part of the Roman Empire, and it was located in a fertile area with nearby gold and silver mines. The population was mixed, Romans and Greeks and Jews, and correspondingly, many different religions were practiced there, with a tiny Christian church. Since the letter's choppy, some scholars believe that it's actually a blend of two or three separate letters written by Paul. The purpose of the letter was to give the Christians in the city advice on how to deal with growing persecution, how to manage dissent among members of the church, and how to help that church mature spiritually. The reason I mention this letter is because there's a reference to someone named Clement in it. Here's the beginning of chapter 4 of that letter. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudodia, and I entreat Sintich to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In the letter to the people of Philippi, to the Christians there, Paul's trying to resolve a conflict between two women in the church, both of them leaders, their conflict threatens the integrity of the church as a whole. Paul happens, at the same time, to mention that they've worked side by side with him and someone named Clement. Our interest here is Clement. Now, who is he? I'll get back to this. But first, let's look at Romans, arguably the most important of Paul's letters and maybe the most important book of the New Testament after the four Gospels. Some would argue that because of Paul's huge impact on the nature of the Christian church, Romans has been more impactful than at least any of the single Gospels individually. This letter, the only one Paul wrote to a church that he did not found, has, from the early days of the Christian church, defined much of what we believe. While our basic beliefs about how we should act as Christians with respect to empathy, forgiveness, regeneration, and kindness comes from the words and the actions of Christ himself, our more formal beliefs are largely derived from Romans. This letter has been used to differentiate true Christian theology from derivations of Christianity, like Gnosticism, that have over the centuries threatened to draw us away from the true, humble teachings of Jesus Christ. So there's much to say about Romans, but what I want to start out by saying today is that we'll only barely touch on this letter. We will certainly look at Romans a lot 
in future podcasts. The church in Rome was made up of both Jewish and Gentile converts. I'd like to look at a passage from the end of Romans, where Paul talks about his future plans. He starts out with words of affirmation for the Christians in Rome, saying that they're true believers and that they support one another. Paul goes on to say that he teaches only what Jesus has taught us. Paul then tells us what he wants to do in the future, and that is to first bring money to the desperately poor Christians in Jerusalem, and then to bring the Christian faith all the way to Spain. Paul writes this, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Paul says that he's going to go visit Rome on his way to Spain. Paul did make it to Rome, where he was imprisoned. There's no biblical evidence that he left Rome after his imprisonment and made his way west to Spain. Spain was an amazing place at the time. Home of Lucan, the great poet, Quintilian, the famous teacher of oratory, and Seneca, the great philosopher. Very importantly, Spain also rested at what was considered the very edge of the westernmost end of their known civilized world. It consisted of the entire Spanish peninsula, including what is today both Spain and Portugal. It was ruled by Rome and had a significant Jewish population. Paul would have seen it as the ultimate missionary destination. It wasn't a place filled with people who were unaware of the outside world. It was a place of art and science and engineering. It would have been incredible if Paul had been able to bring the faith there. We only have three pieces of evidence that Paul ever made this trip. First, there are Spanish traditions that Paul made it to Spain. This is, of course, rather thin evidence. The second is that the size and complex organization of the church in Spain by the 3rd century certainly suggests that somebody got there not too long after the lifetime of Paul. The third piece of evidence relates to a letter that's not part of the Bible. It's not scripture. It's a letter written in the 1st century A.D., around the year 70. It's typically referred to as the first letter of Clement to the Corinthians. And again, it's not Scripture. That letter says in part this, Because of jealousy and strife, Paul, by his example, pointed out the way to the prize for patient endurance. After he had been seven times in chains, had been driven into exile, had been stoned, and had preached in the East and in the West, 
he won the genuine glory for his faith, having taught righteousness to the whole world and having reached the farthest limits of the West. Finally, when he had given his testimony before the rulers, he suffered martyrdom under the prefects and went to the holy place, having become an outstanding example of patient endurance. This says that Paul made it to the farthest limits of the West, which would indeed have been Spain at the time. Then it says he delivered the gospel to the rulers of the land, and for his reward, he was executed and went to be with God for eternity. But wait, just who wrote this? It was someone named Clement, who is considered one of the early church fathers, one of the early leaders of the Christian church. Well, now, as it turns out, there are those who believe that this Clement who wrote this letter is the Clement that we read about in our first passage where Paul said this, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Is it true that the Clement who traveled with Paul is also the Clement of Rome, who wrote a letter that seems to clearly say that Paul made it to Spain and established a major Christian church there? There are many who believe that this same man, Clement, was a personal companion and co-evangelist of Paul, that he wrote that letter, and that he was martyred by being thrown into the sea with an anchor around his neck. But who knows if all of this is correct? We too, though, can bring the word to Spain, to the edge of the known civilized world. You know, I listed three pieces of not-so-solid evidence that Paul made it to Spain. But there's a fourth piece of evidence. No, it's not very solid either. The book of Acts has 28 chapters in it, but there are those who believe that a 29th chapter was found and it clearly describes Paul making it to Spain. This document was found in the archives of Constantinople, which is now Istanbul. It was a letter in Greek and it was translated in the early 1800s. But there are many people who consider it to be a fake, so I won't even bother to quote it. Here's my point, though. Much has been written about Paul going to Spain, and it is all leveraged off a very brief reference to Spain made by Paul in one of his letters. From there, people have woven together, out of multiple pieces of somewhat questionable evidence, the story of Paul fulfilling his mission. Why are people so focused on this? It's because Paul, after Jesus Christ himself, is the second most important person in Christianity. People have imagined what he did after the book of Acts concludes so mysteriously, with us not knowing what happens to Paul, if he made it to Spain, the edge of their known civilized world. And we don't know how he died. We wish we had more letters of his, maybe one that would clear up these mysteries. Our imaginations can't let go of Paul the Evangelist, who did so much to spread the faith to Europe, the part of the world from which American faith descends. If it hadn't been for Paul, 
perhaps none of us in America would be Christians. If nothing else, if it weren't for Paul, who knows how far our beliefs would have strayed from the original teachings of Jesus Christ. That's the point. Paul is a cornerstone of our faith, so we want to know what he did, where he went, and how he died. But we don't know. And we want to envision him making it all the way to Spain. Think about where Paul was headed where he hoped to go, to the end of their known civilized world. That's where we are today, or maybe just a bit past the edge. There's a lot of chaos in the U.S. right now. We have a massive problem with violence, drugs, crime, and the concentration of wealth in the hands of a few. There are many people who cannot feed their kids in this country. At the same time, many people devote their lives to accumulating computers and smartphones and giant TVs and fancy cars. Many of us seem to need Wi-Fi and cable TV simply to survive. We want Amazon to deliver our stuff in one day, not two. We spend less and less time with other people. The U.S. is in many ways on the edge of civilization. I personally believe that the loss of faith in this country is a key indicator of just how bad things are. However, all believers are evangelists, and we don't have to travel thousands of miles by foot, like Paul did, to make a difference. We are already here. We can show the world around us what it means to live like Christ. You should let people know that your faith is a key aspect of your life. There's no need to walk to Spain There's no need to take a dangerous wooden boat through violent seas on a missionary journey like Paul. Just walk across the street. Talk to the people around you. Dream like Paul did. See yourself teaching others to be kind-hearted, forgiving, supportive, and generous, and to know that God wants the best for them. Paul, in our quote from Romans, says that he wants to evangelize in places where no one else has been, in particular among the Gentiles of what is now Europe. He says that these people owe something to the much poorer Jewish converts back in Jerusalem. These Gentiles were better off, often better educated, and for the most part they had what they needed in life. But the one thing they did not have was God. I retired early as a computer science professor, as a full professor. I had spent decades in the world of high tech, where people are obsessed with money and power and having the latest gadgets. Late one night, I was reading this passage from Romans, the one that we looked at, and I realized that I was living in Paul's Spain. I was surrounded by godless people who lived for all the wrong reasons. Academics are truly and deeply selfish people. They dedicate their souls to a narrow academic research area. They think that they're famous because 20 other people in the world who do what they do happen to know who they are. They strut around thinking that they're glorious, that they're celebrities. I realized that making a big change would actually be very easy for me. I looked at the world I had found myself living in, 
God had given me an opportunity to do what we all imagine that Paul did, and that was to be a servant of Jesus Christ on the edge of the civilized world.